My pleasure to read uh, for you uh, the scripture passage this morning the, on which today's gospel lesson is based. Uh, it's also printed in page 8 in your bulletins. <clears throat> it comes from John chapter 4. It's my uh, favorite passage uh, in the New Testament. John chapter 4, verse 4 to 30, and I'm going to read also verse 39. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as, also, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And this is God's word. If I was doing that, I would have said, I'm Collard Greens and he's, and he's Kimchi. <laughs> but I wouldn't do that here. That would be bad. That would be wrong. Well, guys, I need to pick on y'all because... There are people in Jersey who don't know Jesus. Do we believe that? There's people in East Falls right now who want to see people in Jersey know Jesus, right? Balcony, I need y'all to respond with me, right? 
pretty boy with the hair. I need you to respond, bro. Jesus died that we would get the gospel to the world, right? You're talking about starting a new site in Cherry Hill. Every time Pastor Donnie says that, or one of these little cool elders say that, I want y'all to say, come on, give him praise. Give God praise that a new church is going to go to some people who don't know Jesus. Next time, I want you to clap, you old crazy Koreans, like Tim Keller came in here. <laughs> I'm so excited about the site in Cherry Hill. I'm so excited that a church I love, trust, we're going to let that one go, that, that I love and trust and appreciate, and if I lived in Philly, would be a member of, is going to a city that as an African-American, I wasn't even allowed in for most of my life in Cherry Hill. And so now, I'm gonna, we're gonna smuggle in some Koreans to take the gospel to Cherry Hill. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. So don't miss celebrating the planning of a new church anywhere because the planning of a new church represents people who were going to hell, hearing the gospel and maybe not and going to heaven. A new church represents new relationships, community shifts, maybe people that would have committed suicide because of the gospel that Metro Cherry Hill is going to preach. They might live. Maybe marriages will be healed. Maybe abortions will be thwarted because the gospel you preached in Cherry Hill so when Pastor Donnie talks about a new church in Cherry Hill, I don't want you to think, oh, awesome. I want you to think of the transforming power of Jesus to lost people in Cherry Hill. And for that, we celebrate what God can do in New Jersey. Amen? So we're planning a new church in Cherry Hill. Amen? Doggone right. The devil's got a problem. Amen. I love new churches. Love, I love church planning stuff because I'm at established churches, so I don't get to, you know, get in there. So, But I've been tasked with John chapter 4. I want to say I love Pastor Donnie Cho. Um, I love these, these elders, this team. I've been around from the beginning when y'all had the little bootleg church planning track called Camp. That was, the, that was the, the, the residency. You had to be a part of camp. I didn't even know what that meant. And then I saw PFC. I didn't know if that was code for something. But I praise God for my time at camp. That leads to this. I praise God for Donnie's mom, who I love, and she loves me. I praise God for the whole crazy family, Danny Joe, who is one of my heroes, who supported me. I'm not joking. He supported me and fed me and brought me into his home and... Um, man, I've been a part of this whole situation, this whole family, and I've seen many of you go from ninth grade to grown folk, from Minnowland to East Falls, and we're going to continue that. So I want to jump into a text because 
Donnie's got racist jokes against me that because I'm black, I'm gonna go over. <laughs> I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him. I've been told that before by multiple races of people. <laughs> and Boris already threatened me before I got up here. She's such a bully. Look at, look at, she is so mortified right now. <laughs> and I will not pick on He June today. Father, we need you. You're worthy. We celebrate a new church in Cherry Hill. We celebrate the people who are here. We thank you for Metro Church. So many churches have closed already that started around the same time that they did. But by your grace and for whatever reason you've desired to keep us open, keep us growing, and keep us moving, might church planting for us always be a movement and never a monument. Might we always have a deep reality of sentness, never settledness. We need you, God, and, and God, might we ever see you not as just the God of the church, but we might see you as our God, the God who saved us, the God who died in our place, the one who, who, who paid all so that he could be our all. So we ask you to move mightily even now as we uh, jump off from musical worship and to worship around your word as we absorb the, the nutrients of the gospel into our souls again, because God's sin has us run low on spiritual energy, but the gospel is the multivitamin pill that you've given us for new energy, new strength, and new go. So have your way. Be glorified even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I think about the woman on the well, I, I couldn't even come up with a name because I've preached this sermon several times and I've taken different approaches. And so I simply told um, um, Pastor Tim Shin, just call it woman at the well and I'll bootleg a name into it, hopefully by the end, name of the sermon. But when I think of woman at the well, I want you to catch, as a missiologist, I want you to catch um, in this passage, we often see the evangelism component to this, as we should. We often, we also see um, Jesus' ability to teach and preach and to reach into people's lives and show them who he is, as we should see. But sometimes we miss um, the, in the, the intentionality of what the gospel calls us to, intentionality. I want you to catch that, intentionality. It, the sheer intention of God, it's a sovereign divine intentionality. He knows exactly what he wants to do. Everything is calculated, everything is worked out, and it's missed. See, I grew up in the, in the Baptist church, we were the King James Version only, and in the King James, this text says, that he was going to Samaria, he must needs go through Samaria. Must needs go through Samaria. You don't need to go to your to, um, Blue Letter Bible. I promise you that's what it says. He must needs go through Samaria. Now, if you check English syntax, that doesn't work, which should spark us to dig into that and find out. The CSB rightly translates it well when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard what he was, um, he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. Now, that's interesting that the God of all creation, John told us in John 1, he was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning.
beginning as God and he was God, that he's the uncreated one, Yeshua Jesus, the one that was never begotten, the uncreated one, Jesus, who made all things and by him all things consist. He said he must needs. Who, why would he must need? Why would he have to travel to Samaria? That should spark your mind. That should trigger something in you about the intentionality of the God of all creation. That's what I want you to see. And I think in my 25 years of ministry, I'm seeing this passage and it's within orthodoxy to see it a couple ways without missing the main point of it. But I want to talk to you today about the intentionality of the divine one, Jesus. See, reaching the city of Philadelphia for for Metro is a missional imperative. It's not an option. There's no plan B here. We've come here, we've pulled up right here on Ridge Ave to say we are bringing the good news to the lost and we're gonna die here if, if it kills us. It's a missional imperative. We didn't come here by happenstance. We didn't fall off of some boat and say East Falls is the place. No, God had intentionality within Pastor Donnie and this team to come and be here. And so we can't miss that. We, and, and we're not just going after low-hanging fruit of the culture through social media and through connection just by cookouts and stuff. No, we're trying to dig into the crevices with deep intentionality for the least, the last, and the lost. And so where is that? That's where lost people are. Jesus always builds his church through broken people. Ain't that crazy? He always loves the disenfranchised, broken people. He likes the messed up folk because messed up folk that get a little bit of hope, they mess around and be some hopeful folk because they don't, they're not losing as much when they run into Jesus. It's all gain. And so as we look at the city of Philadelphia, we got to go to where messed up folk are. We got to be where they are regularly. And we got to have our gospel intentionality aggressively. And at the same time, we have this aggressive patience. Oxymoron, stay with me. It's aggressive patience with them. And we have to be persistent. Evangelistic patience. Aggressive patience, that's what I call it. This is not happening in many churches. This is not happening in a lot of church plants, periods. People in places with historic issues are ignored. So Pastor Donnie read the passage. If I could rewind the tape and do History Channel for you, this woman and Samaria and the Jews had some historic division, some historic issues. And people in places that are enemies that come to places where there's historic issues are often ignored. Let's just make it plain. You come as an African-American to a neighborhood that might be white and racist, well, that church is often not going to deal with people outside of their comfort zone, which is often their color zone. So it is with African-Americans going into white neighborhoods. Sometimes we keep it so African-American that we block other races from being comfortable in coming in. And if there's historic division, oftentimes there's intentional ignoring of mission to them. 
They're just often ignored, considered, and then add to that, you don't like them, and they rough. They're ignored, considered hard, and ignored. Jesus in his passage displays the model of a type of missionality that the church must have to reach people in the city and in cities where groups of people have been ostracized, ignored, and neglected by the church's mission and outreach. So this passage of his intentionality is saying we have to go to those places of people who've been ignored. Why? Because we have a big gospel that gets into the cracks and crevices of everything. We have a liquid gospel, and you, if you know anything about Philadelphia, when, we, when it starts to rain, we have some of the worst roots in all the, all the city, or all the world. And that water can creep and get through all types of stuff and get to places, and it often doesn't come out until you see the, the roof bubbling a little bit. So that's what the gospel we preach. We get to the cracks and crevices because we have a liquid gospel that gets anywhere. The canons of Dort, in reference to this, talk about a promiscuous evangelism. That's the only time a Christian can be promiscuous, is in evangelism. Canons adored is an old confession. I want to make this clear. So I'm in the new book I'm working on now, it, I talk about cultural intelligence. You need to know Jesus has the perfect cultural intelligence. It's based on his perfect ability to understand to have thoughtful engagement with the city, with the community, with people groups, because Jesus has a perfect way of understanding everything and everyone. Gospel cultural intentionality is not driven by a gathering of statistical data, but the, where you might become an expert. Rather, gospel cultural intelligence is seated in the love of God and the gospel of Christ and the love to see people meet and be transformed by Jesus' saving power. So I'm arguing, and I'm going to jump right into the text, that we need a well-developed CQ, cultural intelligence, flowing out of a genuine love for people who yet hate God and may be hostile to our church and Christianity, and they might hate you too. So we need cultural intelligence so that we can walk in missional intentionality with aggressive patience. Missional intentionality with aggressive patience or patient aggression. You pick it any way you want. It's all jumbo shrimp to me. So we see Jesus in this passage and he, he props up at Jacob's well. I love that. He came to where this woman was. The well. This, is, this passage is, is presuppositional for me for my book on the block. Jesus went to the well. We as missionaries have to go to the block. He didn't call her to his refrigerator, but he went to the deer park to meet her. People were always at the well. They lived in the desert. That's where they would be. For me and Camden, people are always on the corner because that's where the weed is. And these false people are always at the coffee shop because that's where the caffeine is. Near West Oak Lane, people are always at Soho because that's where the double fried wings are. We got to be where they are. So he props up at Jacob's well. 
the original water cooler. People were always at the well. They needed water for life, for family, for crops. Animals, many would say that this, this people were all, all centered around water. It's a true story. Jesus sets up shop as a, at an object of the culture for contextualized evangelism. He went where people went and needed and where they valued. She had some serious skepticism. We'll learn from the story. She did. Skepticism is handled through the words and the work of our Savior, not through arguing with people about specific points on Facebook. Skepticism must be met with hope in the sovereignty of God at its core. Our evangelism flows by sovereignty, not by our ability to argue, not our well-read Westminster track, not our anything but the sovereignty of God. God moves sovereignly as he will, but in his sovereignty, he tells you to put on your flip-flops and hit the block and share that gospel. So he sovereignly called you to do that. And so that's what we must do. Our evangelism is sealed in the sovereignty of our Savior. This place had Samaria, um, had historic issues of racial division and religious division. The Samaritans were made up of people that were a product of an attempt of some sort of ethnic cleansing, if you will. Many different commentators would argue it was ethnic cleansing or it was ethnic mixing. And so because they tried to kill Jews so many times to eliminate them, they said, we can't beat them, let's marry them. And then after we marry them, then there'll be a mix and a blend so they won't be pure. We'll dilute the purity of them. So before long, we'll eliminate them through babies. So they were considered a biracial, multiracial group. They were a war-conquered people. Instead of killing the Jews, they mixed and sought to dilute them by making them biracial. Ain't that something? Doug Logan translation, they sought to dilute the people in every way. They sought to dilute their religious beliefs, their understanding of God, their connection to their history, to rewrite their history. This was how they tried to dilute the Jews. They wanted to separate them from their God, rewrite their history. They, they wanted to culturally rape them, if you will, or of, they wanted to rob them of their history to their people. They wanted to take them from their place where, where they had been promised. They wanted to take them from their families and from the history of their families. They wanted to take them from their God and dilute the history of their God from their homeland. They wanted to destroy and displace them primarily through the disengagement of their God. That's what they sought to do. And Jesus still says, I must go through Samaria, though, because I'm not scared of all that poisonous evil. I don't need steroids for mission. I am the steroids for mission. He don't need an entourage. He can walk through because his ministry works. So these culturally bi and triracial Jews were looked down upon by pure Jews. 
You see how the enemy even breaks up the friends? Yet for years, there was an attempt to separate them from their history. Thousands of years later, the Son of God is standing there at Jacob's well, talking to us, talking to her. To dilute her thoughts, and yet the Son of God is standing there, speaking to her. To rob her of her understanding and separate her from God, but yet the uncreated one, Jesus, who is the Christ, has an intentionality to get to the place where Jews didn't go because nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So he stands there in the midst. Let me get in there. So in seven, the woman in Samaria, on verse seven, came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because the disciples had gone into town to buy food. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him if he would give you living water. So now he's piqued her interest. So let's make it plain. So Jesus props up at the well. She rolls up. He pops up at the well. She comes up. He's talking. The woman Samaria came to draw and give me a drink. Jesus said to her, because, now mind you, I want you to notice the disciples were gone. Don't miss that. We'll save that for later. But Jesus is there, chilling, propped up in a place where easy. It was fishing from a barrel. Why? Because he was where people come. Evangelism must be where people come. No camouflage when it comes to evangelism. You've got to be propped up right where they are. The woman from Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. This would have been ridiculous because the disciples had gone to town. It's verse 9, how is it that you would Jew ask me? I want you to notice that how is it that you would Jew? Don't miss that piece of Jew, that word Jew there, because that's somewhat of a racial slur. That's a condescending tone. How is it that you would Jew? Eyes were a little funny looking. I'd imagine her head turning sideways a little bit. How is it that you a Jew? You dare even ask me. Look what she says. She asked him, for Jews don't even bang with no Samaritans at all. We don't even mess with y'all jokers. That's what I want you to feel. I want you to feel the emotion of the text. She was not just simply having a, a beautiful little chat. You know, well, you're Jewish and we don't get... Now, she was like, listen, man, how a Jew going to have the audacity to ask me? I'm a Samaritan. Y'all know how racist y'all are against them. We don't mess with y'all. He's piqued their interest. But look at what he does. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. <laughs> I want you to know how Jesus blows right past that racial slur. He ain't there for that right now. And you, you might get some racial slurs. I know I have. My wife is white and I'm African-American. I can't trick you. And maybe you've experienced some racism in, in sharing the gospel. You blow right past that. Why? Because we have an intentionality booby-trapped into us, which is to get the gospel to people. I'm not saying ignore it. I don't do that either. But at the moment, you have a gospel mission right now. We'll get to that, but don't get diverted by that. Jesus doesn't let that divert or distract him from her deepest need. 
The deepest need in East Falls is not racial unity. It is the gospel. And the gospel creates racial unity. The deepest need is not an argument about racism. It's very needed. But the deepest need is understanding racism and racial, racial relations through the Bible. Don't get distracted. I want to get distracted. I'm, I'm an, I can get a, be an angry dude. I got that Hulk gospel. Captain America, let me tell you my secret. I'm always angry. <laughs> but Jesus... And I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't just give her the Roman road or a quick track, right? But he gives her a graphic, beautiful description. Why? Because he's culturally intelligent. And he believes and he passionately really wants her to believe in him. So he gives them a graphic, beautiful idea about the object tied directly to the grand meaning of the, of the living God. Let me make it plain. The country is centered around water. They don't have water. They die. They're always at the well. He's at the place where they are. He, they're always at the well. So he's at the well. He's not using some obscure object to talk about it. He's talking about thing that is directly connected to their life and survival. And then he uses that graphically. So, so that alone is, is powerful that you need water. But he says that water can't compare to the water I'm talking about. <laughs> I just want you to get that. He says the thing that they need most for life can't compare to the water he has. That's a... That's a if I was at Pentecostal church, they would have already just <laughs> shouted right there. Okay. I got some kimchi grace. So he does his Marvel hero graphic picture to draw them closer into the, no matter how great the need was for water, there's a greater need of this water he's talking about. He tied his evangelism to God's word. It wasn't a turn or burn sharing, but he gave her a graphic picture of her need. It, it's not just a come to my church evangelism. It was a greater picture of her greater need, but the gift of an amazing storytelling incorporating cultural iconic metaphorical imagery to show the bold and beautiful gospel is what he employed. How come we don't employ that more? But we quote C.S. Lewis, who's that's all he did. He made a whole thing called Narnia. Why? To draw people in to the graphic picture of the beauty of God as Aslan would be on the move and the white witch would be in trouble. I love his cultural intelligence. He takes the iconic realities to show the deeper need. Why? Because he's intentional about bringing down racial and religious division through him. So what should this picture show you as he's engaging? He's tearing down every religious division by the gospel. And he's graphically, C.S. Lewis does that, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, he does that. He uses the graphic reality 
beautiful imagery to point to the wonderful, eternal God. So must we. Because Marvel Studios does that. And they got more folk than y'all, than us. But we want to whip out the Roman road. Corny. We the corniest people group on the earth. We want to say, well, you know, well, we just love Jesus. Stop that. We're bigger than that. Our God is more beautiful than our whack ability. And don't tell me, well, I'm not really an artist. You are artwork. God has beautifully and wonderfully designed you. You got to whip that stuff out. Second piece of interest, he would have peaked. He says, living water. Pastor Donnie, somebody better tell me what time I'm supposed to be done. All right. I ain't got much more. So Jesus, so he talks about running water. Running water would have been, living water would have been running water. Some wells would be just a well, like almost like a big bowl. And so she's intrigued. How can you even get living water is her question. She says, listen, the well is deep. You got a rope and a cup. Because if it's living water, it's running deep. I want you to see that imagery. The depth of his imagery forces her to think about it. Sir, the woman said, I want you to notice he called, in verse 11, she calls him sir. What an upgrade from the racial slur, right? <laughs> said to the woman, you don't even have a bucket in the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well to drink from himself and his sons and his livestock. So Jesus unpacks. Jesus using historic comparison. See, her Old Testament theology, it was underdeveloped. It was underrealized. It, and it needed to be unpacked. So Jesus unpacks it beautifully. So Jesus uses a historic, iconic hero, Jacob. And you need to know Jacob would have been like a, been like a Marvel hero to the Jews. I mean, he had ladders that went from earth to heaven. I mean, Jacob was a twin and a, considered a trickster, and Jacob's name would have been changed. Hit broke, encounter with God. We get the beautiful Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. He would have been a Marvel hero for Jewish people. He would have been historic hero. He would have been the man. And he would have been a real hero because he would have been a mess, a liar, and victorious at the same time. So he uses that. Can I tell you, when I met Jesus, I had a picture of what Jesus was, and it was wrong. And I wasn't a Christian, but I thought I was. I would have went to hell from the pews. You need to know 
I think about the road to Emmaus where Jesus unpacks who he is and the reality of who, who sent him for a seven-mile road to explain. If not for the unpacking and the revealing of the gospel of Christ, you and I are doomed. You and I have no hope. So just remember there's a bunch of bootleg, unsaved Christians. I want you to hear that oxymoron. Unsaved Christians that aren't Christians and aren't saved, that think they're saved, and they need you to unpack their theology that might have been diluted and perverted. They need you to spend time with them over some coffee, unpacking the realities of who Jesus is and all that he's done. They need to hear the gospel again and again. They need to see the gospel from you again and again because people have a bootleg understanding of who God is. They have a bootleg understanding of who they are, and they base it on some Bible that they don't know, and they're trapped in a religious bootleg version of relationship with God that they don't have and so God sends Metro Church to unpack the bags of brokenness to unpack the bags of historic confusion to unpack the bags of religious and race confusion with a pure beautiful graphic gospel of a Christ who is the ultimate hero who came the furthest distance to save the most messed up folk he is the one who traveled through the bifrost that he might put the hammer on Satan and sin to save us from the death we deserve he is we got to unpack we got to unravel Folk is bound up in some confusion, and we got to do it. Verse 13, but I want you to notice Jesus unpacks, <clears throat> but he also invites. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from this water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up into eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. Come here to draw water. Verse 16, I mean, give water. So he invites. There's a level of invitation. There's a level of explaining. There's a level of unpacking the picture. He doesn't want to spend his whole bunch of time in theology of the Old Testament because the unpacking, I want you to notice how he unpacked Old Testament theology. It was with himself. He didn't argue the Hebrew. He didn't spend time arguing about Moses now. He says, I'm the unpacking of the Old Testament. I'm the fulfillment of all things. If you want to know about my bootleg Old Testament, if you want to understand the Old Testament, understand me. Because the water I have, Moses had some water. That didn't work. There was some water he handled that separated seas and whales were stuck, suspended by water. Some powerful water imagery. We got all types of water throughout the Old Testament. They were a water-needing people. But all that water, even the Red Sea parting, where the water separated and the ground was dry, ain't nothing to this water I got. <laughs> That's, I want you to understand, if you're a person of that time, this woman probably thinks, this dude is a jerk. He's arrogant. What kind of water you got, bro? I, I, I want you to get that. This wasn't a religious conversation. This was Jesus with Holy Ghost audacity 
actually telling her that his water is better. And you, East Falls, Metro, you got to have some Holy Ghost audacity to tell them that the water of Jesus is greater than everything they need. You have to tell them with Holy Ghost audacity, not arrogance, but with audacity. Why? Because when you tell the truth, that's not bragging. That's just called telling the truth. The God we serve has the only water that saves. The God we serve is the only hope for humanity. The God we serve is the only hope for peace. The God we serve is the only future anyone could have. The Jesus that you preach is the only way to salvation. And don't you be scared to say that because the culture done told you that's arrogant. You better tell, say what the Bible says and agree with God. And so just like Jesus, he says all the waters from all your old testament history from the water where moses hit the rock and the water came out from the water of the red sea parting it is bootleg compared to the water who i am that's not audacious that's called the bible and if we're going to be culturally intelligent we lead with the truth and our truth is a bold seemingly arrogant position but it is not it's just a doggone truth I'm going to do a little bit more and I'm going to take my seat, Pastor Donnie, so I don't miss my flight. <laughs> I ain't seen my wife. I got to minister to her in some ways when I get home. Amen, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus invites, and then he, then he gets into her personal life. He says, listen, go get your baby daddy. That's Doug Logan translation. He actually says, go get your husband. And she, with beautiful honesty, says, because I think he's piqued her interest. I think he's invited her to a graphic, beautiful idea. She don't want to lie now. She don't want to lose this. She don't want to argue with him. She wants to know about this water. Why? Because it's a beautiful imagery, and she's thirsty. I want you to notice he piqued her interest before he got into her personal life without giving her hope and then challenging her in her life. That's just called being a bully. That's just called judgmental posture. But we present the hope of Jesus to invade the sin of humans, right? We don't start with the sin of humans and then get to the hope, because I'm going to get defensive, and I might punch you in the face if all you're going to do is dog me. Well, I'm going to leave from you, but I love how he starts with the hope of himself and then gets into her thing. Why? Because now she has something to look to. If you're going to be culturally intelligent, you can't beat him in the head. You got to present a gospel that allows for their personal brokenness to land in a place where there's hope. And that's what Jesus does. He says, go get your baby daddy. She said, I ain't got no husband. She, he said, you right, you don't. I didn't even Google it. I'm, I'm the eternal Google. I know already. You've had five husbands. And the man you now are with 
that you're living with right now, he ain't your husband neither. So what you've said is truthful. Verse 19, continued upgrade. Sir, the woman replied, another upgrade. I see that you're a prophet. From Jew to sir to prophet. What a step. And he ain't even talked about race yet. Ain't that beautiful? He didn't even got into a debate yet. He didn't even use the hashtag yet. He ain't even posted on Twitter yet. He just talking, giving her hope, and graphically showing his beauty. I want to talk about he does a dignified investigation of her. Don't want you to miss that. He led with hope of himself. Then he got into her personal life. Just what he did with all of us. I want you to allow my, allow a historical hypothetic, if you will, for me to help explain this passage. She, in this culture, if you had five husbands, often it was because you couldn't have a baby. Jesus doesn't mention any of her children because she probably couldn't get pregnant. And so in this culture, you had to have a son. If your womb was dried up, then you were considered worthless in many regards. So there would be no dignity. You would be considered low and not worthy of being with because you couldn't produce a seed. You need to get that. And so there'd be a high level of condescension there'd be a high level of disrespect. And so she probably, I speculate, was a pretty little lady that couldn't get pregnant. Stay with me. So she would get with the dude and the dude would like her. And then she'd have to break the news to him, I speculate. And then he would move on, move on, move on. She's at number five, move on. So at this point, She's probably got a low view of men. These men may have been religious men. She's got a low view of religion. These men might have bragged about God has blessed them with a wife and then found out she couldn't get pregnant and they walked away. So she may have had a low view of God. In our culture, we can have historic racial separation, angry issues between cultures. And then on top of that, we can have a a, a, a degrading, nasty posture towards people who we don't think have value. We reduce the gospel to the American dream. Because I know that value in Christ comes from Christ, not from my ability to make a baby or have one. Because I know Jesus dances over me with joy even when I'm a full mess. 
And so my identity is not in what I can be. My identity is not what I can produce. My identity is not in what I can make. But my identity is in the living God in Jesus. My identity is a bloody cross. My identity is an empty tomb. My identity will not be determined by people who look down upon me for any reason. My identity won't be the teacher in my school that told me I wouldn't be nothing. Your identity don't make it. My identity won't be in the family members that said he'll never be nothing. My identity won't won't be in when the police officer said he's going to be going to jail and he's not going to make it to 21. My identity won't be in that. My identity is in the living God. My identity is in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand. And Jesus stands here to bring dignity to this woman and for every woman and human thereafter to show forth the beauty that, because he keeps going. She perceives he's a prophet. She's probably never had a man talk to her that good. She's probably having never had a man spend time with her and tell her about water and hope. She's probably waiting for maybe for him to ask her about having babies. And he doesn't get there. But he does get there. Why? Because he says, well, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain. He de she detours around that topic. I want you to notice. Go get your husband. She doesn't even want to talk about husbands. She doesn't mention it even in the next verse. She says, well, you must be a prophet. Let's talk about church. He's like, no, nah, we ain't playing with you. Look what Jesus, so Jesus told in verse 21. Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. What does that mean? That you're not sure about what you worship. Why? Because it's been diluted. I told you in the beginning of the story. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews, meaning uh, God chose the Jewish people to bring a Messiah forth from to bring salvation to the world. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father was such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I'm going to land a plane here. I want you to see that, she, that in all her brokenness, he brings dignity. In all the brokenness of people in this city, you, Christian, have been sent to bring dignity to the brokenness of the people who have maligned and destroyed women, men, Black folk, Chinese folk, you step in and you bring Holy Ghost dignity when you talk to them with respect, even though they say racial slurs to you. Second, I want you to see that Jesus answers a big question. He says, listen, woman, it's not going to be in this mountain, in this geography, and it's not going to be this people, this genealogy, but the gospel is global. It's going to be for all nations. What a great answer. And so I could imagine her saying, well, I'm already a diluted Jew and looked down upon by the religious people. So you're telling me there's hope for me that doesn't have anything to do with a mountain, that doesn't have to do anything with my genealogy. So there's hope where? And what does she say? Well, the Messiah is coming and he's going to know all things. And you know what his dignified answer to the woman who might have been slighted? You talking to them. You need to know what that news meant. Wait a minute. So this ain't secondhand information. You mean 
what I heard about that maybe there was hope for me in my deluded self, in my religiously separated, in my ostracized, divided religion and race, that there's hope. I heard the Messiah would come. He says, yeah, it will. I'm him. The saving of souls is firsthand information from Jesus that he loves you. You need to let that sink in. If you are in Christ, that's firsthand information that he loves you. And he loves you with or without what you can do for him. Because ultimately you bring nothing to the table but the sin required for him to die for. But he still dances over you with joy. He still looks at you with joy. I've blown it, God. He says, but you're still beautiful to me. I've messed up again, God. It's okay. I've sent my son. He never, ever doubts or struggles or wishes he didn't save you. He never second guesses saving you. Let that say la in your, in your tongue like how you irate Cabernet for a second. He never second guesses saving you because of how you sin against him after he does. He's not a whimsical boyfriend who breaks up because he sees something prettier. He doesn't break up because you can't get pregnant. He doesn't break up because you've lost your hair or got cancer. He doesn't break up with you. His Facebook status never changes after an argument. He loves us and he's loved us with the cross. God sent his only son to bring dignity to the most undignified sinners on earth, us. That's what's happening at the well. I'm gonna close with this, then I promise you I'm sitting down. The hour is coming, it is now here. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the hour is coming, is now here. He's looking for true worshipers, those who are worshiping in spirit, the deepest reality of worship, not temple worship, not genealogy worship, but in spirit to God and in truth, not in the lie that the culture's told where you can create a truth that makes you saved, only the truth of God saves. So don't worry about being deluded woman at the well. Don't worry about being perverted and don't worry about the tax of, of washing out the God because don't worry about your race. It's not, gene it's not geographical, it's not genealogical, but my gospel is global. It's for all people. This is what I don't want to happen. The disciples came back, the Bible says, Verse 27, just as the disciples arrived, they were amazed that he was talking to this woman. They were shocked that Jesus wasn't a racist. Let that get you. They couldn't believe you were talking to her. What do you want? Why are you talking with her? Racial slur, other way. Then the woman left her jar, went into town, and told the people, come and see. This is what I don't want you to happen. I don't want us to blow it and miss the opportunity to take the gospel to the cracks and crevices of Philadelphia. 
while we're looking for people we think we're supposed to reach. I've blown it in my ministry. I was a hood rat. I wanted to go to the hood. And I think I've ignored people's trying to be so hood. Don't be like the disciples. They didn't say, yo, did she, did she accept you as God? Did she receive you as the Messiah? How'd that conversation go? We got to pray for her. That should have been a response, right? What you talking to that chick for? She ain't with us. Let's not be that. When we are that, let's repent of that. Let's change that. Let's lead different. Let's show different in Cherry Hill. Let's show different in East Falls. Christ intentionally chose this woman of doubtful reputation from what would say is a not worth reaching racial rejects and accursed people. He didn't care about her past. He didn't care. He was thirsty on the cross. She was thirsty. But he hydrated her with his grace. So let the grace of God hit you in the face right now. We too are a people maybe not worth reaching. We are a cursed people from the fall of mankind at Adam. We too had a past that damaged us and a weak future in front of us that plagued us. But when Christ shows up, he has a power to overcome my past by his grace. See, when Christ shows up at the well of my despair, he has an ability to show me I could be with him better than he has ability to show me how I can be, have hope in him and not, he doesn't just show me how miserable I am without him. When Christ shows up, he, he looks beyond just my race and my face and he sees my brokenness and enters in. When Christ shows up, he sees my frailties and my brokenness and my fears and he says I love you with the cross so when Christ shows up he has a different perspective of my sin he has a different perspective of my damage he has a different perspective of my history he has a different perspective of my broken religion so when Christ shows up he gives me himself he does he gives me himself and he doesn't look on me as if I'm worthless but he looks on me with worth because he inserts the word so when Christ shows up, he brings a love that I never heard of, a love I couldn't imagine having. But when Christ shows up, not the church necessarily, but when Christ shows up, it's a whole different perspective. I have a new birth. I've been born again. I have, I have new life. I've been I have resurrection life. I have new hope. I have the hope of heaven. I've got new family. I got a diverse group of global family that now I am a part of. No longer religiously and racially separated. I am unified with Christ. So I'm unified with all Christ believers. When Christ shows up, everything's different. When Christ shows up, love overflows. When Christ shows up, things change. People change. When Christ shows up, he's the leveler of all things. When Christ shows up he tears down division when Christ shows up he tears down hatred when Christ shows up things are transformed when Christ shows up so you and I have to show up at the wells in this world and tell disenfranchised people when Christ shows up he can make you new if you don't tell them who will
And when that happens, verse 39, now the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. I just want you to get that. The undignified woman who was known of having multiple baby daddies is now an evangelist and believed on. And her God is now believed on. God dignified her with his grace and gave her a new position in the city. Will she be known as the woman with five husbands now? Nope. She'll be known as the evangelist who shared the gospel and the whole town believed. See, Christ rewrites the narrative when he shows up. Christ rewrites the story when he shows up. Don't you try to write your story. Get your dirty hand off the pen. Let Christ write your story. Father, we have no place to turn but you. We have nowhere to go except to you. We have no hope apart from you. Only you have the words to eternal life. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to think. But we know in you is hope. We know that it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be like you. We know that there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. So we're counting on you. God, we don't know what's going to happen in Cherry Hill, but we know you're going to be there. And God, don't send us if you don't go before us. We need you there, God. And God, we're praying for 500, 600 people to come even to that first service and that they would get smacked in the face with the grace of God. We're praying that we'll have big problems. We'll run out of water for baptism. We're praying we'll have to buy more chairs in the second week. God, we're praying that so many folk would get saved that it would shake up the whole Cherry Hill. I'm praying, God, for opportunities from Sam Ash in Cherry Hill, and I'm praying for opportunities for evangelism in Cherry Hill Mall, where many and any might come to see the living God at work at Metro Cherry Hill. I'm praying, God, I'm asking you to do a work beyond what we could ever imagine, because you alone are worthy. So God, we stand at all, and we wait for you to continue to blow our mind with your grace. So do it again for us here in these falls, and do it new for us in Cherry Hill. Bless this pastor, Pastor Donnie, and these crazy, awesome elders that they would lead well. And God, give special Holy Ghost, double-shot espresso energy for this church to go hard for Jesus and bring dignity through the gospel to the disenfranchised people of this city. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.